You immediately had a quality drop when you hit that record button. Really? Immediately. Is it still bad? It's like all the way to what mine is. Yeah, I told you it's going to do that. That's what we're going with. Welcome, everybody, to a Quality Podcast Season 1, Episode 8. John Thacker here with Jake Harrell. And we're going to talk about... What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about how to win right now. How to win right now in operations. Got the title of this episode from the title of my book, Zoom, How to Win Right Now as an Operations Supervisor. Um, I guess, interestingly enough, some of the best feedback I've got is from folks that are not operations supervisors. Um, But there's five behaviors, skills, characteristics that folks need to be successful in running an operations. And that's what I needed when I got my first operations supervisor job. Um, and I kind of learned the hard way. So when I got promoted and it was time for me to start hiring people, um, I looked for a resource to train them in these five things and I couldn't find one. So I wrote the book to meet the need. So that's what we're going to talk about today and help all of you out there in YouTube land, uh, do better at your job, be better leaders, be better operations managers and supervisors and employees, and we can all win together. That's the dream. I haven't in my time in leadership come across anything that was just, I've a whole bunch of stuff in the theoretical realm of how to do X or Y, but not a go do this right now. Yeah, great point. One of the things that I uh, kept in mind when I wrote my book, Um, each section touches briefly on like the theory and then it just dives immediately into how do you actually do it, right? Um, And that's one thing that we seek to overcome in our own business as we create value for others is, you know, how can you win right now? That's why we chose the name Zoom, right? Um, So let's start with that big one, leadership, because I feel like it's a big buzzword nowadays and it's not really associated with a lot of meaningful content online. And one of the biggest surprises to me was just doing my homework and realizing that, um, you know, most folks have no idea what leadership actually is or how it's defined. Yeah. Um, it is the esoteric realm where good thoughts and vibes go to die. So on, on LinkedIn, everybody's a thought leader. Um, everybody has, I'm not a boss, I'm a leader. That was a great post the other day, by the way. Yeah, I can't stand those, you know. A boss beats their employees to death with a phone pole. Uh, a leader gives blood to save their lives. You know, just this, this random contrasting of the two when you really just pick some character traits you don't like and some that you do and put one in this bucket and one in that bucket and named that bucket boss and that leader, right? Yeah, I think that there's a dearth of understanding in what leadership actually is. Um, Funny story, when I was going to school, I 
took a class in leadership and the professor started out the class with a slide that said, what is leadership? And he invited everybody to share what they thought leadership was. And a bunch of people, you know, stood up and gave these long winded, eloquent, I'm so smart answers. And he just let the class talk itself out. Right. And it was like 45 minutes once everyone was done proving to the rest of the class how preeminently intelligent they were. He clicked to the next slide and it just said, getting other people to do what you want. Right? And it was intended to be humorous, but the rest of the class was really a commentary on that slide. Because of course you can get people to do what you want through coercion and so on. That's what we would call bad leadership. But sometimes we lose sight of the fact that you know, the real essence of leadership is getting other people to do what you want, right? Yeah, it is, it is a thinly veiled social manipulation. And I know that's a strong and like can come across as an evil connotation, but that is, that is precisely what you're doing. Like when you think of any great leaders and you just pick this war guy that he gave a nice speech and brought everybody up to the brink of death and X battle, what did he do? It was social manipulation at its finest. And, uh, you know, just framed in a positive way instead of a negative. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the difference between good and bad leadership is fundamentally going to come down to style, how you go about getting other people to do what you want. The basic definition of leadership, a process of social influence in which you can enlist the aid and support of others in the accomplishment of a common task. So what I'd like to do is uh, break that down. I really think that's the definition of um, good leadership because it uses the term social influence. Um, typically, the influence wielded by bad leadership is not social influence. It's coercion. Is that fair? Yeah, Google says, and I just like that I have to reference back to Google like the millennial I am. The action of leading a group of people or an organization. So it is even it is even one step further before that mentioning group. They just restated the word. That's all. That's, <laughs> that's all. <laughs> it is the worst. At least Wikipedia does a little better job. And it says leadership is both a research area and a practical skill encompassing the ability of an individual, group, or organization to lead, influence, or guide other individuals, teams, or entire a quick your wherever your your eyeline meets has you looking down the whole time when you're talking well i am looking down the whole time do we need to recut can you enable screen share a whiteboard i didn't know they had this freaking awesome oh that is really awesome can you hear me i can hear you all right well let's get back into it though. so Take two, roll. So leadership is commonly accepted as a process of social influence in which a person can enlist the aid and support of others in the accomplishment of a common task. So for me, there is some important elements to that definition. I sort of define good leadership into that definition um, on purpose in the book, right? So. The key there is social influence and enlisting the aid and support of others in the accomplishment of a common task. So 
you'll have a company and there's like a board of directors or CEO, depending on the company structure, there's people that make decisions about the future of the company. And that communication has to get down to the people doing the work. So this level sort of leads this level enlists their aid in accomplishment of a common task. And then they have to enlist the aid of others in that same thing. That's sort of the cascade of leadership. But that's exactly where good and bad leadership differ in that bad leadership uses means other than influence. Um, they're not enlisting aid and support. You can see how that's a very cooperative type of language, right? Uh, this is different from a top-down dictatorial approach that says, here's where we're going, you know, get on board or get run over, right? Get your copy. Ladies and gentlemen, I have Samuel L. Jackson in the business with me. He is on audio only, so you won't see a visual. Normally, both your asses would be dead as fried chicken right now, but you happen to pull this shit while I'm in a transitional period. So I don't want to kill you. I want to help you. So now that we have a shared understanding of what leadership is, or at least if we're gonna agree with that as the premise, how do I actually do it? Okay, good. Um, so that's the reason that I wrote my book and that was the gap. That's always been the gap. How do you actually do this stuff, right? And so for me, as I was trying to learn how to be a good supervisor, I had, you know, a, uh, hunger, right? To be good at my job and to serve my people well. And so I knew that leadership was a part of that and that it was important, um, but I didn't know how to do it. Can you hear that? I can hear it very loud and clear. That's the copy. Maker, so. Oh, keep, keep it in. John's lives have coffee anyways. People gotta know. And I just feel like coffee cups should have asymmetrical design, you know? Like, how does that not throw you off? How, how is that a problem? Because, like, it should have a different picture depending on if you're drinking out of it or somebody else's. I think we live on two different planes of existence. The fact that I, I've never even considered what the fuck my cup says on it. Yeah, but look. It's a waste. They put the same picture on both sides of the cup. Like, why would you do that? They had it's an efficiency, not a waste. You don't need a separate mold to put on the backside. It is a waste. It's twice as much ink. I mean, look, I, if you put it on one side and I don't feel like looking at Rocky Balboa, I can drink left-handed and now I can't see the picture. Or if I'm feeling like punching the world in the face today, I turned around, I can see Rocky Balboa. I drink right-handed, but the way they set up, I don't have a damn choice. I have to look at Rocky Balboa no matter which hand I drink with. So I just feel like it's inconsiderate. You're in Pennsylvania, so there's only like three things you can be proud of, and that's one of them. <laughs> so unless you want to put crab cakes on there, you need to accept that the Liberty Bell and Rocky Balboa is going to be your options. I don't know. The uh, Maryland militia might come take us out if we decided to create claim crab cakes up here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so... How do you actually do leadership, right? I, I think that there is um, probably three aspects to this. One is having the right tools. Um, 
The other is taking advantage of your specific strengths. And then the third would be the specific skill of managing up, if that makes sense. So if we begin by understanding leadership as a process of social influence, where I'm enlisting the aid and support of others, that implies that I have to be good at persuasion, talking to people, I have to be comfortable in my skin, um, I can't be easily offended, that sort of thing. So there are some tools you can use to help you enlist the aid and support of others, right? Um, a couple that I mentioned in my book that have worked really well for me, the first is the work notebook. Uh, the notebook that I use is roughly this big. It's got uh, spiraling, you know, it's, it's cheap, um, but it fits in my pocket, which is important because I don't want to leave my notebook around as personal notes in there and stuff like that. Um, so what I do in the notebook is if I meet somebody new, I'll just take notes about that person in my notebook and I'll review that at the end of the day until I know everybody or am completely familiar with the job, right? Another specific skill is actually learning your employees' names, right? So that's not something that I'm naturally good at. So I learned this trick, which is the first time you meet somebody, make sure that you repeat their name three times in the conversation and associate them with something specific. And if you practice that, it, at least for me, it worked really well. So I'll meet somebody new. Hi. You know, I'm John, what's your name? Jake. Oh, hi, Jake. How long have you been working here? Uh, about two weeks. Oh, well, I'm so glad you could do it, join the team, Jake. Have you done anything interesting? Have you learned your job? How's it going so far? Yeah, it's all right. It's a little hot in here. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Jake, that Texas heat in the summertime, that is something. Okay, so what I did in that brief interaction was I said your name three times, but here's what I was doing. I was thinking Jake's the guy with the maroon polo shirt. Right? Oh, not the not the not the heat complainer. You do you went with the shirt. You avoided a prejudice really well. You didn't go, ah, big nose, Jake. No, basically, uh, and, and this has to do with how my memory works. Um, but I'll associate it with something visual with that person and, and somehow that just sticks. And for you, like the particular hue of shirt you're wearing, whatever color that is, um, is, is kind of attractive and different. So I'm, that's easy to remember. Um, but to be honest with you, I've also remembered people as like the big nose person or something unflattering, um, which is why I don't want anyone to find my notebook. <laughs> right? Because the key is to, you know, obviously I would never say that to another person, but the key is to actually remember them, you know, and remember their name, right? Um, so, you know, part of enlisting the aid and support of others is interacting, influencing. That includes remember who your people are, learn their names, um, and then polishing your strengths, right? This is really important part of leadership. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. So uh, in my book, Zoom, How to Win Right Now as an Operations Supervisor, Right? I define strengths as something that you do uh, a little bit better than most of your peers and a weakness as something that you don't do as well as most of your peers. There's a pretty simple um, and relative 
approach. Yeah, not you're incapable, not I'm an amazing at this, just on average. I like to think of the stuff I tend to complete first because that's not the easiest or the hardest. The stuff I tend to complete first, those are your strengths. You're not shying away from them because you don't know how or you're not good at it. Right. And so here's some examples of maybe some really different things that you might do at work, um, filling out a spreadsheet, um, sending an email, talking to an employee who recently had a close family member die, asking somebody how you can help them improve their performance, talking to the entire team about their performance outcomes. Those five things are very different and require a different skill for each one, right? Yeah, I mean, they're separate parts of the brain you want to utilize for long and short thinking. I've met many a people that they're the first one to want to have a group conversation, and they're not the guy that wants to check payroll. And I don't go past due and not get done at all. But if you give them a situation where it's go actually do something and show it to someone else, they're the first one. And it is a, I'd be interested to know your thoughts on a little more self-reflection, how you decide it for yourself. But I think a lot of people start, they don't know the stuff they think is their strengths and weaknesses. There's a lot of self-acceptance there. Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, the definition I use in the book, something that you do, you know, basically do it a little better than your peers, you'd call a strength and something you generally don't do as well as your peers would be a weakness. Um, that didn't work out perfectly. And the reason for that is the things that I'm not good at, I tend to put a lot more effort and energy into, and I can get some really good outcomes. So I also, in my calculation, take into account how much time and effort and like mental anguish did it take to get this done. Um, some of that, you know, there are things that you have to practice and just put yourself through that. But if you have a spreadsheet that you have to fill out every day and you're just not good with computers, um, that's an example to me of a weakness. You can get it done and the finished product is going to be just as good as your peers, because really we're all just putting numbers in a spreadsheet, right? But it takes you twice as long. Um, there's more internal kind of friction to completing that task. So I think you have to take into account, you know, how much effort it takes you to get the outcome you got as well. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's time and energy matrix versus good, bad. Because as somebody like me, eight and one Enneagram, and I hate referring to Enneagram, but I am going to challenge it. And I'm going to bang my head against it till it's done, if it's in my wheelhouse at all. So then I'm going to go, even if I think it's a weakness inside, God forbid I'm ever going to say that out loud. And God forbid am I ever going to let John be better at it than me. Like, denied. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep, I could relate to that for sure. Um, but the key is to good leadership is if you're good at something, polish that, emphasize it, do it, make it better. Right. And if you're not good at something, try to outsource it and at least control it. Know that you're not good at it. I'm going to give you two different stereotypes that you've probably experienced in your career. One is the individual who is very good at mechanical things, working with their hands, building stuff, and is a poor communicator. So pretty much your entire maintenance department, right? 
Yes, and the engineering department. That that entirely can just. Well, yeah, the, the engineering department is uh, often incapable of both, but we won't pick on uh, the engineers too harsh. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and then here's another stereotype that guy that everybody loves and he's so friendly and engaging and like when you're in a bad mood at work you go seek them out because they're going to make you feel better and then when it's time to actually work they're like yeah i'm not very good at that right yeah i'm that i'm that category for sure yeah so if you're using one of these tools that lumps people into categories and everything you know one is like the doer the badger the hufflepuff you know and the other one is the supporter you know the cheerleader um, and you need different types on your team for sure right so we're just dealing with stereotypes to kind of make a point well the person that is good at fixing stuff mechanically that's their strength they should fix stuff mechanically and but maybe they don't know how to talk to people or they come from the kind of environment where people talk to each other in a um, in, in a very direct or unprofessional way. So if you're messing up, they're not going to say, let's talk about your undesirable outcomes. You know, they're going to say, why are you keep fucking up, man? Right? Yeah, on the flip side, what do you do with the guy that can communicate to everybody but can't actually do anything worth shit? Well, I don't know. Honestly, I'm not here to solve that problem, right? But the point is, the person that's good at speaking should be in a role where that's part of their job, and the person that isn't shouldn't, right? Well, depending on your company structure, at some point, you're going to have to do a lot of different things or be responsible for a lot of different things. To me, that's where the delegation comes in, right? So we talk about, you know, polishing your strengths and outsourcing your weaknesses on your strengths. You're always trying to get better and better. If you are good at public speaking and you can be among the best, you can leverage that financially and professionally. If you're bad at it, you can polish it until you're blue in the face. You're still going to be mediocre at it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So the final um, way to do leadership is managing up. So I love this one because on the one hand, this is one of those topics where most of the advice that I see is meaningless. Yes, yeah, like take your lunch anyways and ignore the call from your boss. Right. Not work overtime. In what fucking world do you live? <laughs> yes. In the world of unemployment. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like as you're sitting at home in your parents' home in the basement, unemployed, you're typing up all of this wonderful knowledge for LinkedIn. To, you know, not work past five o'clock. Who cares that you're on a spaceship? Like I, yeah, I can't relate to it at all. So, how do you make that meaningful? Okay, so a couple of things. First of all, managing up. Um, I, I think that you have to define very carefully what you're trying to do and what your your goals are. I heard somebody on a podcast that I would uh, attribute if I could remember, but it stuck with me. They were talking about managing up, uh, managing up and they said, just forget about it. I said, have you ever changed your spouse's mind by arguing with them? I was like, no. <laughs> right? So 
He's like, well, if, if that's the case, then why would you try to change your boss's mind? Okay, fair point. But here's where I went with that was, well, wait a minute. Am I trying to change my boss's mind? Is that what I mean by managing up? And I think that's where a lot of people trip up is they look at managing up as I'm going to tell my boss exactly how I'm going to create value for this company. And I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to work these hours and I'm not going to work those hours. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not going to work very well because your boss is trying to enlist the aid and support of you and others in the accomplishment of a common task. And the more friction you provide to accomplishing that goal, the harder their job is. And, and that's just not healthy for you and your relationship to the organization. Instead, for me, managing up is what we just defined. It's leadership. It's just the person that you are enlisting aid and support from to accomplish a common task is your boss. So you just have to learn how to influence that person. And in some ways, this can be the easiest part of your job, because if you have a team like a dock team that unloads a trailer, as long as you connected with the majority, you're going to change that team and that team's behavior as a group. You might have the one outlier that's going to gripe about everything, right? We all have that guy, right? But overall, the team is going to pull on that rope with you. Right. And there's even going to be a little bit of social pressure on this guy. But with your boss, it's just one person. So instead of trying to figure out how can I triangulate and even compromise to get the majority of this team to agree, all you have to do is influence one person. So for me, managing up is as simple as how do I influence my boss to aid and assist me in this common task. So how do you go about doing that? Hmm. Good question. Yeah, obviously it's going to be relative to each individual situation, but here's a couple of good places to start that work for everybody, right? The first is to empathize with your boss. So everybody hates the man until you are the man, you know, all of that. Uh, Your boss has a tough job and you know what? They might not be very good at it, right? So before you tear them down and judge them and everything else, start with a little bit of empathy and understand, you know what? They're not very good at their job and they probably know it. They're probably trying to work on it or maybe not. But approaching the relationship from one of understanding will put you in the right mindset to solve problems, right? Otherwise, all you're thinking about is yourself and not the common task that you're trying to enlist aid and support for. Um, the second is to help your boss. So the easiest way for me to do this is I always think of my boss as my number one customer, right? So again, it depends on the structure of the organization and where you fall in the organization if you're the CEO, you have multiple bosses, the you know board of directors. But if you think of your boss as your number one customer, then you're going to have, at least for me, right? Because I have kind of a sales mindset. I'm always thinking, how do I keep my customers happy, right? So when my boss is at the top of that list, then I'm just automatically thinking, how can I make their life easier, right? So that helps because, again, 
it's a process of social influence where you're trying to enlist the aid and support of your boss. So imagine if the roles were reversed and your subordinate is always coming to you, hey, I need this, hey, I need that, hey, I need that. You want to help them as their boss, but at some point you're going to see them walking towards you and find a place to hide because you're like, this person is a taker, not a giver, right? Mm -hmm. So, my <laughs> right, right. Um, so don't be that person. <laughs> so in the same way, you know, if you can um, begin the relationship by being a giver with your boss, um, that creates kind of the safe space uh, and trust where your boss understands, hey, this person is not here to just get all they can for themselves and get all they can out of me. They're actually here to help and uh, support everything. And I would say even do personal things. It is not inappropriate to bring your boss a cup of coffee or you know, a, a greeting card on National Bosses Day or whatever industry you're in. Um, those kinds of personal touches that aren't work-related and are just for your boss are, are perfectly appropriate because we're humans and you're building a relationship. Yeah, I think uh, people jump into this, well, it's just a popularity contest. I'm like, how much of society just actually is though? Like, <laughs> we vote on everything. What is that? That is, that is just what it is. Yeah, when was the last time something popped up on your phone that said, rate this one to five stars, right? That's a popularity contest, you know. I, I clicked one earlier. I, I gave it a four out of five on this app. I was playing it and responded back. Well, fuck you. You don't get to rate stuff. <laughs> we don't live in a world where the most popular is what wins. <laughs> well, Jake, we're really sorry that you're not smart enough to understand how awesome our app is. So we just went ahead and changed it to five stars. So <laughs> appreciate that, right? Um, yeah, so... Influencing your boss, you know, collaboratively, hey, that's just part of leadership, right? And, and people forget or, or are unaware of what leadership is and, you know, sort of how it uh, touches the different aspects of their work. So instead of managing up, it might be more helpful to just think about how you're leading when it comes to the relationship with your boss. Yeah, it's just as effective to just remove the whole title thing. Because when you're working with the guys that report to you, your strategy is the same. Accept where they are as people, identify the common task, right? And then steer that conversation on how I manage us to gain buy-in on us completing this common goal together. That's it. Your title was largely irrelevant. Hey, what is going on down there, hon? It's really loud up here including like the dryer slamming and tray hollering and I think the door's open. Can you like button that down? Because it's just taking longer and longer to finish this video and, and that's not good for anybody. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. So I think that's a good point. The definition of leadership, like how you approach folks, it doesn't really change. Um, the only thing I would say is the reason people get all caught up on this managing up thing is this barbaric archaic power dynamic that we have at least in the u.s because that's where our you know work experience is but for some reason while political structures have evolved you know in the last hundred years or so 
we're still clinging to this medieval feudalism when it comes to how we run our businesses. And that's why people get weird about their boss. If I'm talking to a subordinate and trying to enlist their help, there's sort of this uh, implied power differential. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and need you to come in Saturday and do those TPS reports. Can you do that for me? Right. And as a subordinate, you're like, man, fuck you, but I'm going to do it anyway because I like my job. Right. And, right. and you know, when you're approaching your boss, now you're the subordinate and you're like, oh shit, you know, I don't want to make them upset because they might punish me for it. Fair? Yeah, power differential that I'm sorry to announce to planet Earth just does not actually exist. I don't know where humans cling to that at all, but a good enough facilitator or somebody that's like leading the process of social influence can literally have any job title and steer the conversation and outcomes the direction you want to go. Your job title does not afford you any amount of power or additional social influence. Unless you cling to that, that power dynamic. Well, yeah, right. There are some companies that specifically empower people at different levels of the organization to have, I guess, the ability to just fire people uh, or punish them in other ways. And they, these companies really actually support um, that type of approach, probably because they want to behave that way at the very top of the org. Um, and so they create a culture that, um, you know, where people are allowed to hurt others, especially those that are sort of, you know, beneath them in the structure of the company. Right. Yeah, I've definitely worked for places where I can send an email to accomplish a task and get a, who are you? And then a director send a copy pasted exact same email and then get the outcome that I was after initially. <laughs> what is missing there? What is what is uh, what is the thing there? I can't seem to comprehend. Fantastic example when we talk about the process of social influence. In that example, the director had a specific advantage, which is the culture told people within that organization, pay attention to people up here and shit on people down here. So if you send out an email seeking cooperation in the accomplishment of a common goal or task, they say, oh, you're at the bottom of the totem pole. I'm going to shit on you. But then a director can literally copy and paste your email and send it out to everybody. And now everyone pays attention. So the culture itself determined that email communication is an effective means of gathering or enlisting aid and support if it's up here. And if it's down here, it's not. And that's an important lesson, which is the methods and means that we use to enlist aid and support, you know, have to change depending on factors that are outside of our control. So we've got a general understanding of what leadership is how to actually apply it, how to manage up. Do expound a little more on how do I identify and how do I lean on my specific strengths? I appreciate that question because I think that self-knowledge and self-awareness is critical to each individual's success. And yet at the same time, I read a lot of 
pop psychology culture stuff that talks about, you know, know thyself and you should meditate every day and stuff like that. Um, that I just haven't found particularly helpful. Maybe I'm a excessively mechanically minded person, but I'm always thinking, what do I do? Right? Don't tell me to meditate, right? Because I will sit on my butt for three minutes and consider it done, right? So I just imagine that John's thinking, I am meditating. I am meditating. I have completed meditation. <laughs> I translate. I do try to meditate every day, but I'm not um, deluded enough to think that I'm in any way learning anything about myself except um, my general physical uncomfortableness with sitting still for too long. Um, yeah, I I kind of think it's a weak answer when I have a specific problem like, well, have you tried meditating and focusing on it? What you're really saying is, have you fucking thought about it? <laughs> that's what you're. That's the first thing you're saying. I'm like. Have you thought about it? It's well, disingenuous for you to just, well, did you try actually thinking about it? I've got this great method for you to consider, you know, just kind of stopping in your brain a little bit and focusing on how to get that outcome you're after. Um, so there's actually a whole section in my book about that. Uh, here's a couple of highlights. So one is do a self-assessment sort of and just write down, here's what I think I'm good at. Here's what I don't think I'm very good at. Um, here's some things that I'm lazy about and could do better at if I worked on it. Um, you could even do like a SWOT analysis, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats type of thing. Um, and then here's the key part. You have to get feedback from other people, right? So self-concept is one piece of the equation for good leadership. Others concept is the other piece. And what makes a good leader is how close self-concept and others concept is, not what the content is, okay? So if your self-concept is, I'm a terrible leader, and the concept of everyone else is, you're a terrible leader, you can be successful because you and the people that you're trying to influence agree you're a terrible leader, which means you can work on being a better one. You can enlist their aid and support in being a better one. They'll even have some compassion and try to help you along, right? But now imagine that you think you're a terrible leader and your team doesn't. Imagine that the other's concept is this person has it all together. They got it all figured out. Um, they're kind of almost invulnerable, right? They, I really look up to this guy. Well, you're going to be following this path over here where you think you're terrible. No one's going to come alongside you and help you. No one's going to understand that. In fact, they have you up on this pedestal and you make a self-deprecating comment because you think you're terrible and it just confuses them. They don't know what's going on. In fact, they may even interpret it the wrong way and think that your self-deprecating comment is actually about them. So the key to success is to have your self-concept and others' concept close enough that you guys can work together with minimal friction. So I see a lot of 
literature out there on self-concept, on taking a self-assessment, blah, blah. Uh, and all that's well and good, but you have to get the input from over here too. And then you have to compare them. So I think uh, it's kind of cool that, you know, when I've done like the Enneagram, for example, um, I'll ask people like, what do you think I am? And they're always like one or eight. And I'm like a one eight, you know? <laughs> so, um, is that out of a hundred? You're an 18 out of a hundred. Yeah. That's exactly how the Enneagram works. You got, <laughs> um, I don't know if Enneagram is copyrighted or something. I better put like a legal disclaimer down here on the screen. Uh, but we do not endorse this or any other tool. Um, now, but, if you want us to endorse you, there is, a, you know, <laughs> feel free. We are not outside of this. Here. Whatever you do, send us a mug that doesn't have a, the same fucking logo on the front and back, or else John will be irritated by it to no end. John's Warehouse. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. I do got to I got to get you not the right suit, not the right cut of suit, but the right cut of suit for the right cut of man. <laughs> um, so that's about it. Uh, we're we're starting to run out of time here, but I think that the concept of leadership is one of the most underserved elements in raising the next generation of leaders. And, you know, just ask yourself, how many books about leadership have I read? How many of them had a good definition that I could actually put into practice every day? And how many said, do this, this, and this? And what you'll find is you've probably read a lot of books on leadership. I mean, every month there's another New York Times bestseller. I read them all, right? Well, how come I have to keep reading them? And then how many define leadership in a way that I can take action on? So the reason I defined leadership as a process of social influence, where a person get, enlists the aid and support of others in the accomplishment of a common task, is that if you have that in your mindset, you can use that to take action every day in every situation, right? And then how do you actually do it? And of course, I have some steps in there about that. Um, so if you think through that, I think it becomes clear that this is an area that is underserved for a lot of the people we're trying to bring up to be leaders within the organization. So I appreciate the uh, conversation. Um, any parting thoughts or words of wisdom? Yeah, I don't know how I put out in my brain how I can separate like actual good books with with you know good functional knowledge from like theoretical feel good bullshit because that's what I read every time I talk to them. Like in my book, which I'll con you into some three hour meeting and talk about next time, it, it their theory is less than one page 
of one one of the 14 things I talked about. Theory is one page. Then you get immediately, here's how you do it right now. And here's what those outcomes look like. And I just, all the feel good bullshit, we as a society have to just stop accepting. I recall one meeting that it doesn't, doesn't count as a final thought because it's a long winded story, but you're going to get it anyway. Where um, a previous boss of mine is, I want to help you learn and grow. And he handed me a flashcard program with six hundred flashcards and the idea was to read through them and decide which ones you were good at and which ones you were not so good at and there was so much like half the english language was included in there so i'm like this is this is not actionable this is not in any way fruitful to my personal growth and every time i get into a meeting like there's no specifics over what your personal growth or path or problem needs to be. So there's a lot of self-reflection built into how to identify my own strengths and weaknesses. Uh, applying the SWOT analysis person, like on a personal level is probably a really good start. I'd really like to see you think through and share like some SWOT analysis that's a personal because we always apply that to a risk or a specific business thing. Like I would really like to see that turned internally. And yeah, how do we make it actionable? So one of the things that made me fall in love with John Thacker was that the book was pure action. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, well, what you need to do is think about being a little more emotionally neutral. And apparently some shitty discount uh, impression. But what you need to do is hear specific actions that generally align. And I think there's a lot more love we can find and craft out of that that doesn't exist today. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, I would guess that that boss didn't actually know how to answer the question. Um, probably went home and that was on their coffee table, you know. Um, <laughs> so maybe that worked for them or something. Um, it was on their artesian coffee table. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was driving to me in their midlife crisis car. <laughs> but, you know, um, we have to stop being the people with all the answers. We have to be the people that are comfortable saying, Jake, that's a great question. I can't help you with that right now because I haven't fucking thought about it. But I'll tell you what, here's my commitment. I'm a busy guy. I don't like you that much or care about you that much. So give me six weeks because I have more important stuff to do. But I will get back to you after I've thought about it. I would have appreciated that instead of just the eat shit. Here are some flashcards I picked up in kindergarten. The now now I like to play this game, which I call the honest human game, right? So what I just communicated to you would be the one hundred percent transparent truth coming out of this guy's mouth. We don't behave that way as humans. You know, we equivocate and prevaricate and obfuscate. But that's the key is you would have appreciated that so much more than what you got. Now, I'm not advocating that you shit on anybody. But what I am saying is that honesty is still the best policy, right? Mm -hmm. and we have to stop behaving as if leaders are supposed to have all of the answers, especially at the drop of a hat. Um, my wife asks me questions from time to time and I'll just respond, did you ask Google, right? Um, usually when I'm a little annoyed or you know, haven't had enough sleep or something like that. But the point that I'm making is I don't know everything, right? Somebody does, 
find it, you know, find the answer on your own. Um, so I appreciate you, you know, sharing that story. I think it has a lot of meaning for us. As far as books and educational content and so on goes, I think that we all need to develop a discriminating palette. I love to read. I read everything that comes out. I have journal subscriptions. I, I have some books that I bought and I got through like the first chapter and was like, this is garbage. I have some that I only got through the first stage of, you know, how to read a book by Mortimer Adler, you know, where you're reading the front and back matter. And, and I'll do, read that and I'm like, this is such a well-written book. I don't actually have to read the content because I just learned everything about it from the table. Of <laughs> from the front and the back. <laughs> Should have written it on a postcard. Um, but I think you're right. Like we need to be a little more discriminating, you know, in what we read. And there's quite a few books that do reorient how we think in our paradigm and they're important, but they tend to be emotional works. And when the rubber meets the road, they just lack the robustness to help us actually execute well. So you might read a book about how we're all human and we're all in this together and how corporate hierarchy is an artificial social construct and, you know, tell some sob story about a janitor that got berated by the CEO and then the CEO got hit by a car in the parking lot and the janitor saved their life, you know, and you get done reading this and you just feel this deep milk of human kindness burning in your breast. And then the next day you're at work and somebody does something that's really fucking stupid and you lose your cool, right? Um, all of that... Those feelings went away because you're not reading the book anymore. So, there, yeah, we need content that gives us concrete actions we can take to get different outcomes because that's what we're we're going for, right? Yeah, even even simple ones, you know, like I, I don't need an, an esoteric. Well, how can I make all of my employees 100% happy? How about we just start with the generalities of what humans like and what's reasonable to accomplish within my budget? That's that's what I'm looking for. Like I'm I'm not looking for for theory at almost any level. Or here's a, another good example. How many people have you helped to significantly improve their performance um, just by showing them how to use an a uh, email client? Yeah, something that's free, or easy, and out there in the world has been transformative time and time and time and time and time again. I heard a guy, I can't remember who, um, but he mentioned that his email rules for his inbox are all based on keywords. And so he has a rule that looks for the word unsubscribe. And if the email has that word in it, then it automatically routes to a mass mailings folder, right? Which, you know, typically never gets read. Um, but yet, sometimes little specific actions like that add up to really huge results. I, you know, I don't need to read the book on how to own New York City, right? Most people don't need that book. We're not Napoleon, you know, we're not some Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, right? We're just have this little piece of our business that we want to do really well at. Um, so good call out. All right. That is more than enough. I'm going to have a hell of a time chopping this one up this week. Um, thanks for joining for all of our friends and fans out there in YouTube world. Thank you for joining a quality podcast. 
I have links below in the description. Be sure to pick up a copy of my book, Zoom, How to Win Right Now as an Operations Supervisor to learn more about leadership and the other four characteristics you need to be successful. And we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you.